We're spending our time this summer looking in the Minor Prophets. We're calling this series Summer in the Minor Prophets. And we come to this morning to one of the greatest love stories ever written, more tragic than Romeo and Juliet, and yet offering the greatest hope to be found. We're looking in the Minor Prophets at the book of Hosea. And let me tell you, reality TV has nothing on the book of Hosea. I mean, since the advent of reality TV, we've had the opportunity to look into some real life situations and gaze into the lives of people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Folks, those shows don't hold a candle to the book of Hosea. So let's begin with the introduction in Hosea chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It tells us this, the Lord gave this message to Hosea, the son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. There's two things that we learn here about Hosea. First of all, his father was Beeri. That's all we know about him, okay? But the second thing that he tells us here in this passage is he gives to us his timeline. And most likely, Hosea was prophesying in the last three decades of the northern kingdom. Remember, the nation of Israel fell to Assyria in 722 BC and and was gone from the pages of history. But notice also here in verse 1, there is a listing of kings that are that are here. Now, Hosea was sent as a prophet to the northern kingdom, but he lists four different kings of the southern kingdom to establish his timeline. He mentions Uzziah. <clears throat> Uzziah was a king over the southern kingdom of Judah from about 792 to about 740 B.C., He mentions three other kings of that southern kingdom, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And those three kings reigned in a time period probably around um, 750. Um, Jotham overlapped some with Uzziah, his father. So from about 750 to about 687 B.C., the only king that's mentioned of the northern kingdom of Israel was Jeroboam II. And he reigned from approximately 793 to about 753 B.C. Now, we know that there were some other kings who followed Jeroboam and were on the throne at the same time uh, as Jotham and, and Ahaz. So why doesn't Hosea mention them? I mean, we know there were six kings who followed Jeroboam II during this time period when Hosea ministered. I think the reason that Hosea didn't mention them, because as far as he was concerned, Jeroboam II was the last legitimate king of Israel. All the rest were assassins and ambitious climbers who had no right to the title of king. So the book of Hosea naturally falls into two parts. Chapters one through three tell the tragic and yet hopeful story of Hosea's marriage. Chapters 4 through 13 contain, excuse me, words of condemnation and restoration for the nation of Israel. 
So let's gonna look today, we're gonna look today at just part one, chapters one through three. And we begin with what I'm calling a picture of an unfaithful wife. Hosea one and verse two. When the Lord first began speaking to Hosea through, uh, excuse me, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. This verse contains really the call of Hosea to be God's prophet. Uh, That's quite a different call from many of the other prophets. You know, God would call them and and say, go and, and preach my word. But here is Hosea, God is saying, come and go marry a prostitute. Um, This indication is that Gomer here, that has become his wife, is more likely just an immoral woman. And she was immoral before the marriage. Uh, She's identified in the text here as a prostitute. Now, not in the sense that we would think of a modern-day prostitute, you know, the idea of a, of a brothel worker or a streetwalker. Probably the better understanding would be that she was an immoral woman who depended on gifts from her lovers. She may very well have been a part of the cult of Baal, the, the pagan god Baal, and her immorality would have resulted from sexual indulgence that came from Baal worship. Notice, though, the statement that Hosea's marriage to an unfaithful wife will illustrate the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. God, you see, had wedded Israel to himself at Mount Sinai over in Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 5. God said to this, now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So God's command here to Hosea really parallels the reality of the nation of Israel. I mean, here, God is specifically telling Hosea to enter into the same kind of marriage that the Lord God himself is in, because each was to be married to an unfaithful spouse. Hosea was was bound in a covenant of of marriage to an unfaithful and immoral woman. And God, too, was bound in a covenant relationship with a willful and wayward people, a people who were continually unfaithful to him. Hosea would experience the sorrows of God. And so as a result, he would speak in God's place to the nation. The plot, however, thickens because children are born to Hosea and to his wayward wife. And each child is saddled with disgrace because of the immorality of their mother. So let's look now at Hosea's three children. And the birth of these three children was so important to Hosea that he gives us the details of their birth and their naming. And this is the very beginning of his prophecy. Uh, These births are not just some kind of incidental information that Hosea shares with us. Instead, 
They are the prophecy that God once delivered. Everything else is just going to be an explanation. So the first son born to uh, Hosea was by the name of Jezreel. Look at verses 3 through 5. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Now, note first off that it's God himself who names this son and explains why the name is significant. You know, this name Jezreel is a very uncommon name in scripture. It's uh, it's found only one other time in the Old Testament, and that's in the list of genealogies over in 1 Chronicles. Now, for Hosea's audience, the name was significant because it was the name of an important valley in the northern kingdom that fell between Galilee and, and Samaria. <clears throat> Not only was the valley named the Valley of Jezreel, but there was also a town called Jezreel that was located in the valley just northwest of Mount Gilboa. This town and the Valley of Jezreel were really an essential part of Old Testament history. I mean, it's here that the the Israelites of the United Kingdom, for instance, fought a disastrous battle against the Philistines during which King Saul and his son Jonathan uh, were killed on the heights of of Mount uh, Gilboa, just above the the Valley of Jezreel. Uh, Jezreel was also the location of that vineyard that was owned by a man by the name of Naboth. And that vineyard was so coveted by King Ahab that Naboth was killed so that Ahab could have that vineyard. Here, a commander of the army of the northern tribe uh, named Jehu killed the son of Ahab named Joram and killed Ahab's wife Jezebel and and destroyed all the rest of the house of Ahab. Why, even in the time of the judges, the valley of Jezreel uh, had proved to be strategic, a, a strategic scene of battle when Deborah and then later Gideon fought the oppressors of the, of the nation. So this was a significant and an important valley, this name Jezreel. The significance, though, of Hosea, or God really, naming Hosea's son Jezreel is found, first of all, in the meaning of that name. The name means, may God sow. <clears throat> now, since so much of the false worship of Baal had to do with Baal's ability to supposedly bring rain and ensure harvest, the name, May God Sow, speaks of the Lord God as being superior to Baal, as the one who truly gives the harvest bounty. But second, this would also be a reference to God's judgment that was coming on the dynasty of King Jehu. You know, just as Jehu had ended the dynasty of Ahab at Jezreel, so Jezreel would also be the scene of God's judgment and the ending of the dynasty of Jehu. Jezreel, therefore, was a name of judgment from God. 
Next, in our in our text, we see the birth of a daughter by the name of Loruama, beginning at verse 6. <clears throat> Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Loruama, not love, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and chariots, but by my power as the Lord their God. So again, God is the one who names this child. And this time the name Loraama means not loved. No, this would have been a dreadful name given to a little girl in that world. Uh, in that day and time, that name would be scandalous. It would be offensive. And now, of course, this name doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't describe Hosea's attitude toward his daughter. Now, once again, this name became a teaching tool for the prophet. Uh, this name called attention to the, the estrangement between God and his people. And so think about it. As Hosea delivered God's message, the people would hear that terrible name, Lo-Ru'ama, not loved. Maybe they would whisper to one another, Hosea's wife is unfaithful. He must doubt that this child is really his. And he has rejected this poor thing. And Hosea would reply, Do you trouble yourselves over Loruama? I tell you, you are Loruama. The Lord has turned his back on you. You are no longer his people. You are no longer loved. You are no longer forgiven. You know how very tragic to reach that place in a relationship with God where God would say to us, you're no longer loved. Then a second son is born to Hosea. Not only is there Jezreel and then a daughter named Lo-Ru'ama, but now a second son comes and his name is Lo-Ami. In Hosea chapter 1, beginning at verse 8 and verse 9, after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ru'ama, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, not my people, for Israel is not my people and I am not their God. You know, each of these birth descriptions is very unique. So here we see that Lo-Ami was born after the weaning of his sister, that would make Lo-Ru'ama maybe about three years old when this son was born. And God again names this, ch this child, naming him Lo-Ami, not my people. You know, this statement really indicates that that covenant relationship between God and Israel was now null and void. This was a, a complete reversal of that familiar covenant relationship, such as found, for instance, in Exodus 6 and 7, where God had said, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Now, this relationship was ended with these uh, northern ten tribes of Israel. He said, for Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Now, let's skip on to, to chapter 2. And verse two, because 
God has some charges to bring against Mother Israel. Look at uh, chapter 2 and beginning at verse 2. It says this, But now bring charges against Israel your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Hosea is shifting his focus now from his family to God's family, or or should we say God's former family? Because in the symbolism of this book, Israel, um, the wayward wife, is more than just the nation of people. In other words, Mother Israel, if if we could use that term to describe what I'm talking about here, uh, Mother Israel is the leadership. It's the institutions. It's the culture of that nation of Israel. Mother Israel would include, you know, the shrines and the sacrifices, all the sacred blessings that were used. It would include the royal symbols and all the trappings of the monarchy, the armies and all the official teachings that are passed from generation to generation in that nation. And most especially, Mother Israel would be the priests and the kings and the members of the of the ruling class who shape and direct and exploit the people of the land. The people of the land, on the other hand, you know, the ordinary men and women of Israel are symbolically the children of Mother Israel. And so the whole life of the children is impacted by the actions of the mother. In this case, Mother Israel, <clears throat> Mother Israel, and you know, the leadership of the country, the priests and all the things that went into that culture have impacted the people so that they have become unfaithful to God themselves as well. So in this case, as Hosea is presenting this picture, Mother Israel has abandoned the Lord God, her husband, and has embraced a new lover, Baal. As a result, the people of the land are left without leadership, are left without being attached by the covenant relationship to Jehovah God. So here in in chapter 2 and in verse 2, Hosea is beginning to bring charges against Mother Israel. And really, in so doing, he brings three charges in this chapter against Israel. And these, these charges really focus on three particular sins of the people. First of all is that of idolatry. <laughs> and this, of course, would be unfaithfulness to God because they have forsaken the worship of God, the one, the God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And instead, they're worshiping the false gods of the pagan nations around them, and especially the pagan god of Baal. <clears throat> now, these pagan worship experiences that Hosea is talking about here uh, involved sensual fertility rites. And for these rites, both male and female prostitutes were provided for the worshipers. So in a very literal as well as symbolic sense, Idolatry means prostitution here. So verse 2 and following point to God's judgment of shaming Israel before her many lovers. I mean, since the people were acting like prostitutes, 
God would treat them like prostitutes and would shame them publicly. Since they had broken their sacred vows to God, he would no longer claim them as his wife. I think what God is saying to us through Hosea is that, you know what? Unfaithfulness to our spouse is a serious sin. But even greater is the sin of unfaithfulness to God. I mean, we must be very cognizant that the world in which we live would uh, allure us away from our trust and from our dependence on God and and lead us to, to try to embrace all the trappings and amusements of the world around us. Idolatry is a sin that we can so easily fall into. A second sin that Hosea indicts the people for is that of ingratitude. He he indicts them because they have failed to give thanks to God for his blessings of food and water and clothing. And, And instead, they have thanked the false gods and they use the gifts that God has given them to serve those false gods. I mean, what kind of ingratitude is that? God provided rain for the crops and the Israelites gave credit to Baal for for the rain. Uh, He was called the rain god. Folks, we must never be found guilty of being ungrateful for God, for all the good that he does for us, all the ways in which he provides for us. Ingratitude is a sin we need to avoid as well. And then finally, there is hypocrisy. We saw hypocrisy last week in our study of of Amos because the people of Israel in Amos and now here in Hosea continued their worship of the Lord God. Um, At least, you know, they were going through the motions of worship that were prescribed by, uh, by the law of Moses. But it was all a sham. Uh, They were were hypocrites in their worship, and and God called uh, on them, you know, called them for their hypocrisy. And he announced to them that he was abandoning them to their sinful ways and to the consequences of their actions. What I want you to understand is that this story is our story. I mean, how many times have we turned away from God? How many times have we been unfaithful to him? Uh, We've been so ungrateful for his provision and for his presence in our lives. We, We so often go through the motions of calling ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, but the reality is we're just wearing masks and we're playing games. These actions, these are the things that led to the downfall of the northern kingdom of Israel. And God divorced them and God walked away. Or so it seems from what we've just read. But here's the redeeming thing. God had a different idea. And I am so thankful, and I know that you are too, that our God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. No matter how unfaithful, no matter how many times we play games, no matter how many times we let God down and fall away from following God. God is there to give us a second chance and a third chance and a tenth chance, even to a millionth chance if we need it. And so what we see embedded in chapters one and two 
is what we might call a startling reversal. Let's pick up reading again in in, uh, chapter uh, 1 and beginning at reading at verse 10. Hosea said this, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in his land. And then chapter two, verse one, in that day, you will call your brother Ami, my people, and you will call your sisters Ruama, the ones I love. Man, look at this. <clears throat> After declaring that Israel was no longer his people, God reverses himself and he speaks of the proliferation of the nation. And and you know that ancient covenant uh, with Abraham is referred to, and and it's renewed with the pledge that the people of Israel will be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. And so by recalling that covenant with Abraham, God is reaffirming the status, their status as God's people. This is one of the paradoxes that Hosea deals with. Man, there are a number of paradoxes throughout this book. So he set forth the sin of the people, and then he set forth the faithfulness of God. And now Hosea is treating both of those as equal, equally true. Look, first of all, at how he's changed the names of, of Hosea's children. Loami was not my people. And suddenly, it's changed to Ami, my people. In fact, Hosea there says to the people, you are children of the living God. I mean, through God's grace and mercy, the people have regained their status as the people of God. And then there's Loruama, which means not love. And that's changed to Ruama, which means love. So through the grace and the the mercy of God, the people find themselves loved once again by God. Verse 11 there highlights for us the fact that as far as Hosea was concerned, that division of the 12 tribes into two nations, man, that's fundamentally perverse. This wasn't God's design. This wasn't God's desire. No, for Hosea, they're to be one people and they should be one nation. And then he mentioned something called the Day of Jezreel. And, and that means that the, it's no longer going to be a name of destruction and devastation as it had been known in the history of that northern kingdom of Israel. Instead, it will be a day when, as the name means, God sows. And God's going to sow joy among the people. Now, let's jump over to chapter 2 and pick up reading in verse 14, and let's read through verse 16. God's word says, but then again, and this is God speaking, then again, I will win her back once again, and I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. 
I will re, re, excuse me, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. Uh, these verses really contain a triumphant declaration of the saving grace of God. I mean, God speaks here of wooing Israel back to himself and of entering into a new marriage covenant. Uh, God is, is pictured here in this section of, of chapter two as speaking tenderly to the heart of his beloved Israel. And, and God is pledging to restore all the possessions that he earlier had declared that Israel had forfeited. Man, this is grace. And it really leads us to a, what I would call a fresh understanding of, of God's gracious love. See, Israel is learning here of God's great love for them. They don't need to return to some false god of rain. No, the Lord God himself is going to send rain. So there in chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, we read this. In that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds. And the sky will answer the earth with rain. <laughs> then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain, the grapevine, and the olive tree. And they in turn will answer Jezreel, God plants. At that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them up for myself. I will show love to those I called not love. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. See, once again, we see Hosea's three children. There's Jezreel, a name that had stood in Israel for calamity. And now it implies salvation. It implies prosperity. It says God plants. And then there was Loruama, those not loved, will now find God showering them with love. And then there's Loami, those declared not my people, will hear from the lips of God, now you are my people. Their response will be to acknowledge God's love and God's grace by declaring, <clears throat> you are our God. So with chapter three, we return now to the story of Hosea. And we're gonna find that in many ways, he is one of the world's greatest lovers because he returns to love his unfaithful wife. So in, in verse one comes the command from God that you're to go and you're to love your wife again. Let's pick up reading in, in Hosea three, beginning at verse one. <clears throat> then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of grain. 
Then I said to her, you must live in my house many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relationship with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go for a long time without a king or prince or without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, and even idols. Now catch this. But afterward, <clears throat> the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. Here we have a picture of Hosea restoring the relationship with his wife, Gomer. All that she had done to, to really sin against him, to grieve him, and, and to, to uh, just really bring sadness to his life. And yet he's reaching out to her out of love, wanting to restore her to a position of love. Uh, and, and so there in verse two, you know, verse one, God says, go and love your wife again. Verse two shows that Hosea obeyed God and he bought Gomer back to himself out of the slavery to the sin that she was enslaved to. And then verses four and five really give to us God's explanation of the message behind Hosea's actions. I mean, again, here is Hosea, in spite of his wife's unfaithfulness, in spite of the many ways uh, that she has sinned against and, and grieved her husband, Hosea. Here is her husband again, loving her unconditionally. What a, what a picture of our loving God here. I mean, God loves us, folks, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our unfaithfulness. He loves us unconditionally. Folks, some of you need to hear that message this morning. Um, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been in your life. But I do know this. It is never too late to come back to God. God loves you unconditionally. And, and, and so through Hosea comes the call for us to return to God. And so over in Hosea chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, listen to these words. This is a call to you. This is a call to me from God, just like it was a call from Hosea to the people. It's a call to return to God, where he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us to pieces. <clears throat> now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in the early spring. You know, there is just something about life that when we wander away from God, when we reject him, when we're unfaithful to him, life just begins to fall apart. Our, our life begins to be characterized by turmoil and heartache. Uh, things aren't just quite right. That ought to serve as a warning light to us. And <clears throat> the only solution, as we find right here in Hosea, 
The only solution is to return to the Lord, that he might patch up our life, that he might bring renewal and and restoration. And folks, even a resurrection in our life, because our life is so troubled and so desperate. And so the appeal of Hosea to each one of us is found in that last chapter in Hosea chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. When God says to us, return, O Israel, that is, return, my people, return, whoever you are, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praise. That's my prayer for all of us. We would return to the Lord. It doesn't matter how far you've drifted away or where you find yourself today. Our sins do bring us down. But instead of laying in the gutter, laying in wherever we find ourselves, we need to return to the Lord. We need to bring our confessions. Our confession is simply this, to say to God, yes, I've blown it. I messed up. What you say about my life is true. It is a mess. And I confess to you, God, that you're right. Bring your confessions, the text says, and return to the Lord. That's what a lot of you need to do. Return to the Lord. Say to him, Hosea 14, 2, say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we can offer to you our praises. My prayer is that you will see this is the greatest love story ever written, that God loves you enough to die for you. For God so loved the world, and that means you, that he gave his only begotten sin, that whosoever believes in him, puts their trust, their confidence in, they return to him, Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you need to return to Christ, if you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior, if you need to rededicate your life to him, do that. So today, I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to ask you right now, right in the stillness of your home right there, to pray to receive Christ, to pray to return to Christ. Put your life back on the road of walking with him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the example that we find in Hosea of unconditional love. That No matter how much we mess up, you love us. You care for us. You're right there for us. And I pray that those watching this right now would hear your call to them to return to you. And that they would come to say, God, I need you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and to save me, to make me a brand new person. I want to live for you from this day forward. I need to return to you. Man, I I know you in my heart for so many years, and yet I've drifted. I've turned away. I need to come back to you. My life's a mess, and without you, it's just spiraling down. I want to return to you. God, I thank you that you hear our prayers. I thank you that you know the intent of each heart this morning. 
hear their prayers, restore them, build that relationship again based on your unconditional love for all of us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.